Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners, this is the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. That black and white lens on the championship and beyond. And with the first chunk of the season all done, let's just step back and take a deep breath. Six games down. 40 to go. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your pilot today as we take a brief trip to Cardiff and back before surveying the landscape of the league and our start as a whole. And joining me to take aim and fire both shots and compliments on that start, I have able gunmen on either wing. To my left, a man who ranks top of my list of Barlow's. Third, Gary, two, Ken, and number one, our very own Guy Barlow. That's probably the best intro I've ever heard, Jack. Well, <laughs> joining me on my right is a man who ranks top of my list of Coopers. Third, Mini. Second, Tommy. And number one, our very own George Cooper. <laughs> you all right, mate? How's it going? <laughs> Not too bad. How are we, fellas? All good? Yeah, very well. Happy with the point, actually. Before the season started, I was a bit sort of like, if you went to Cardiff and got a point, they've got a really strong championship score, we would have been happy with it. But given how they have started the season, how poor form they've been in, maybe, maybe that changed a little bit. We'll get on to Cardiff, but before we do... It would be remiss of us not to start things off with a couple of three-word reviews. So, Guy, all yours. The floor is yours. Well, I've taken these from Twitter today. Um, simple and clear, really. Um, from Christian Liedberg, uh, better change goalie. Uh, I got a few likes. Um, <laughs> People like that. <laughs> uh, very topical one, losing run perogues. Um My personal favourite, where is Fabry? <laughs> um, but yeah, ref lost control. And of course, the title one which I actually thought was arguably the best, which is R to know better. R to know better. George, it was a slow start to the game, which is becoming a bit of a worrying trend. So what are your thoughts on Fulham's flat-footedness out of the blocks? This isn't a new thing this season, but it has come back to haunt us once again. And I remember when we started this podcast a couple of years back, <laughs> we went for so long being like, all we need to do is score early. And then eventually it clicked. But this is a problem that Fulham have had for seasons now. Mm, and it's, I think it's something which is even more concerning given the situation we find ourselves in where we concede early. You know, we concede early, teams sit back, we find it very hard to break it down. And we always say it's all, always fine we score early and then teams have to come onto us, we find a bit more space, but it just never seems to happen. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, six games in, it's not, I, I, always, I feel like I always say this, but I'm not getting too concerned just yet. I mean, Fulham notoriously for, for, for years have always started slow not just the first half of matches, but slow starts the season. Yeah, I, I can, I can, when was the last time that Fulham came out of the blocks for for, for any season? And Roy Hodgson, probably. Well, no, <laughs> I was going to say, in our, in our first playoff season in the Championship, we, we were second at the, in, at the end of the international break, do you remember? Because Kearney scored the last-minute equaliser away, yeah, yeah, yeah. away at Blackburn. Um, but yeah, we, we then know we had an awful September, so that doesn't necessarily mean like it's going to be anything to go on. Mm. But just talking about starting slowly in games... Um, there was that stat as well. I remember from our last stint in the championship that, you know, we hardly ever score in the first 30 minutes of matches. Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And particularly there was one point, and again in the first playoff season, where we'd only scored like twice in the first 40 games in the first 30 minutes. It, it was would, absolutely insane. It would be nice to see it a bit more, wouldn't it? Imagine, imagine. Oh, I mean, when, when, when did we score for the Millwall game? That was fair... Was it about half an hour? Was it? Yeah, no. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't too late in the game. It wasn't no. a flying start that sometimes you expect. This is it. We never seen Fulham two on the score sheet. Do you? No, it's no, always no. Fulham twenty-seven or Fulham thirty. Yeah. But 
actually, we will get on to Cardiff's goal, which was, you know, reasonably early itself. Bettinelli's distribution poor again, but it was actually his usual, usual solid shot-stopping that let him down this time and handed the lead to Cardiff. What did you make of the goal, Guy? Yeah, um, well, we lost the ball in, the, I think, the opposition third, basically. And then Steven Sess was caught opposition, ball in behind him. And then, you know... My, one of my favourite phrases, which is pop it on wrists from um, Betts, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is harsh, but obviously, as, as you said, Jack, he, you know, he's known for his shot stopping normally. He should have kept it out. Um, I didn't think he closed down the angle well enough because I thought Murphy was running at him for quite a long time. Yeah. And I think he could have done more maybe to get out and close down. He's still down the reasonably angle. wide as well when he hits mm. it. it. It's not like Betts, you know, and we have criticised him for lots of things, but this isn't normally one. But it's, I think it's the second time we've done this season. There was, there was talk of the same yeah. at Barnsley. And, you know, it's starting to get to a point where, like, you know, if you, if you do the things that you're good at well, then you don't come in for that much. Yes, there's the distribution question. Yes, there's all of those things. But ultimately, if you keep the ball out of your net, yeah. you do all right most of the time. But he's not doing that at the moment. No, absolutely not. I think it was um, Dom that, surprise, surprise, throughout the stat last, um, last pod, that he's, he's let in 50% of the shots that he's faced so far this season. Yeah. And... One thing that I will give to his credit was immediately after he let that goal in, which let's face it, he should have he should have saved. You know, he'd be disappointed with that. It was a I, I, even if he were to save it, you'd be like, that's a good save. You wouldn't be like, oh, fantastic save. Yeah, it was absolutely. a very sort of run in the mill, uh, sort of across your body, um, yeah, save that we'd be his bread and butter throughout training. And you know, we see he's, he's not bad at those kind of um, saves, but he did pull off. Um, I thought a fantastic save about two three minutes afterwards yeah. which somewhat redeemed him in my books because you're like okay but um yeah we uh, it's something that he needs to snub out of his game we can't if we're going to want to go up automatically we can't be letting cheap goals like that in something that was good to see was that we managed to respond before the interval and and i think obviously when when you're pushing to respond and you've got so much of the ball like we did in that first half again again shock shock um <laughs> you know you have to you have to take your chances and push and when when you do have the ascendancy make the most of it and we very much did and it was a very very good goal george oh yeah no and as you said just the immediacy after afterwards it was 3 minutes i think it all happened within 3 minutes didn't we so we conceded that goal bestnelli did that remarkable save which let's face it if that had gone in we would have found ourselves in a real spot of bother yeah. um, and then Mitrovic with that fantastic a classic Mitrovic goal you know I mean I'm kicking myself I was going to put on uh, Mitrovic anytime score but I just thought no it's too obvious and then I'm like, That's... both teams to score Mitrovic anytime yeah, it's yeah. just the same thing <laughs> yeah, put it on like, every week he needs, he needs to be doing it but it's why he's you know, he's the best best striker in the Premier League. He's reliable. He's going to put them away. Not Premier League. Sorry. He would be. Freud he would be. He's not uh, yeah, there. He would be, yeah, not yeah. yet. Cha- championship. Um, yeah, you, you come to expect that from him. And he, he is... We, if he gets injured, I think... Um, yeah, let's just hope he stays let's fit. Just keep, <laughs> let's just keep our fingers crossed. What was nice, I think, was the build-up play down the right. Obviously, Cavalera is the man that put the cross in. But actually, some nice work between him and Steven Sessignon before it went through. Yeah, definitely. Um I'd like. To, I'd be interested to see how um, much Steven Sessegnon gets forward this year. Um, obviously, we know we've seen him play centre back in the past. Um, I remember at the Under Seventeen World Cup, I believe he got the most assists in the tournament. So we know he's got like that delivery um, in his locker, as it were. But you know, I think that could be a nice partnership, whether it be Cavalera or Knockout in front of him. Um, but it's interesting because obviously with Fredericks, when we had him in the championship, he was our main second threat, even though he didn't actually get that many assists that year. But I wonder if he can emulate that. He he's clearly, a lot of hockey assists. Yeah, which he, is my favourite pose. He, pose <laughs> <of the game. laughs> he clearly hasn't, hasn't got the pace of Fredericks, but yeah. he's, he's, he's not. He's not slow. He's no he's slouch. No. <laughs> I would think interestingly that most of us thought our attacking threat, fullback wise, would come from Joe Bryan. 
um, who obviously has more of a, a known delivery, has a good delivery on him, Joe Bryan. But Sessegnon's starting to even that out, and it does make a difference when you can attack down both flanks, mm. as you know someone like Liverpool does. Obviously, not quite. You know, we're not talking to the same extent here. Those are the two best fullbacks oh, in the world. Hasty. But. <laughs> But on the whole, what they can do is they can switch it and it can go down the right and it can go down the left. When you only have one attacking option, it becomes much easier to close you down in mm. that kind of regard. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we've, um, we're going to see a lot more from those uh, wing-backs. I still think we're, they're holding back a little bit. I think, I think it's a defensive tactic. You know, we don't want to... I think Scott Parker said, you don't gallivant forward at every opportunity, such as we saw from, you know, Fredericks and the like that season. I still think that the breaks are on there a little bit. And I'd like, I think that once the team builds in confidence and we get a bit more def- uh, defensively stable, we're, we're going to see a lot more of that. To get tactically inept a little bit, do you think it's because during our promotion, season with Kevin McDonald there as a kind of natural six, he dropped in to the the back line a lot and we became sort of three at the back with wing backs when we were in possession whereas now there is no natural six in the side because Arter and Reed are both more far more box to box players than than yeah the McDonald ever was do you think that's playing a part and, and actually we spoke, spoke about it before but Stephen Sessegnon cuts inside into a defensive midfield role quite a lot rather than getting on the overlap and that's potentially down to the, the tactical makeup of the side in the middle yeah, and particularly when McDonald did that, it was always always often on the left hand side of the defence as well, which enabled our left backs, you know, Malone, Sessignon, to get further forward, and, and we often saw them pop up with what, you know, over ten goals between them that in that first playoff season, yeah. because they were often allowed to join the attack as a box player rather than a winger. Whereas Brian, because he has that delivery, maybe Parker wants him out there pinging the ball in rather than trying to get in on six yard tappings. Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. Let's let's get on to the red card. But actually, before that, and we were just talking about this before we we went on to air guard. The second half was very turgid, even before Harry Arter got sent off, and it became even more so once that had happened. Yeah. You know, there is that cliche that um, red cards ruin games and everything, but I think to expect it to be a scintillating half football as it is, knowing what we know about Warnock, and we were away from home and. You know, sometimes we can be a bit languid in possession. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't a good start to the half. We looked off when Harry Ars was sent off, I believe the 68th minute, but nothing happened up until that point anyway. Mm. It was a pretty boring game, to be honest. It was a funny old moment of madness oh, from Harry Arthur. What are you I doing, think, man? I think this is this, this is one thing to consider here, right? Arthur gets clipped, absolutely 100%. I agree. But then he goes down about three seconds afterwards it's like it's really 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 delayed I seem to remember the rolls as well is it just me or did he like roll he, two, he did or, have three, a little two roll or three times it's just it's, like what are you doing mate? it was like it was just so g'd up it was very weird like like you say this the crowd were all over yeah. him, all game but even more so after that tackle on joe lolly which was yeah. to be fair a bit of a horror show it was the, it was the most stonewall booking i, I think i've ever seen like it was steph it, against southampton it, yeah, oh yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe. steph against leeds but it was um it's good that we've like swapped in like for like I yeah <laughs> we got, got a bit of nastiness yeah it's like. good i do like it but i mean it was it was an absurd tackle i mean in fairness he he did cut down um he did break off card the card card if we're going to break had had he not done that but it was just totally overboard yellow card and of course the cardiff uh, crowd are baying going for blood baying for blood against um their old player and then i think that just got to him and he lost his head he totally lost his head it was it, definitely the reaction for me, anyway, the reaction, the as we said, the flamboyancy of the dive, and then the reaction slamming his hands on the pitch, you know, looking at the line and looking at the ref, that definitely 
over overegged it you know yeah, yeah. He, he it went from being a sort of fall over the bit too late to being a, like this weird comical act it, of, <laughs> of like flamboyance like you yeah. say and it's really annoying because you see those fouls given all the time where a defender's running back towards their own corner flag and they get needlessly clipped and the referee happily blows it let's go on lads but he just it was it could have been so simple and we, the game could have been so different um yeah really was a cliche moment of madness i remember Colin said in his post-match interview that he was lucky not to have picked up a yellow card for descent because he, he actually threw the ball back at, um, at the assistant ref or the linesman or whatever when he you know got a bitty foul. So you, we we know he's a hothead. He needs to keep it in check. Scott needs to have a way get his get his sister to you know <laughs> uh, have rain a him in. Yeah, rain him in. But like it, we is we can't afford we can't afford to have any more needless sending offs because it was needless. It was totally needless. Absolutely. It, one thing that struck me is that a lot of places seem to have full down as hanging on for the <laughs> 20 minutes after Arta got sent off or 25 with added time it didn't feel like that massively from a Fulham perspective we didn't really create anything after red card but and, and while they had a couple of moments they were sort of speculative a lot apart from maybe the last minute header mm. that dropped just wide there wasn't much in it it wasn't like Cardiff were all over us like a rash for the last 20 minutes no absolutely not I, I certainly wasn't on the edge of my seat however I must confess I was probably about five or six pints down by this point <laughs> so uh, you had two just after the artist yeah, off just try and yeah, cope with sort it sort of steady my nerves but um, yeah no they weren't uh, by no means all over us they had a, a few chances that ahead of us the only one that really that sticks in my mind and I mean just testaments to sort of team Cardiff are they're, they're never going to sort of Blow you away. No, exactly. blow you away. They didn't have an awful lot of attacking for it. I think they've been pretty toothless this year, by and large. As as you said earlier, it's, we ground out to a certain extent, but I never at any point seriously felt like, oh, we're going to sort of lose this game. Were you worried, Guy? No. Um, we, similar to what George just said, you know what you're going to get. You know what? It's going to be balls in the box. And because of the style of football they play, it's difficult for them to actually get on top of you in a way that maybe we could and like pin mm. a defence in their 18-yard box. Um, I just wanted to raise, like, what, what do you think of the, the Mitro pen shout at the end? Uh, I think it's a stonewall pen away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's, there's, there's funny ones, and there was a possible shout for them down the other hand, down the other end, which... Oh, yeah, Mitro climbing over uh, Flint. Which wasn't yeah. miles off either, no. I don't think, but it was a strange tackle, that from Peltier, wasn't it? A really, really odd thing to do. Mm. Yeah, especially given the circumstances. And I actually had, I had Mitrovic to score a penalty. <laughs> After Dara on the radio show, it's like, I'm going to be Mystic Meg and see if we're going to get a penalty. I was like, oh, you might be to have something in there. So I was going I was going crazy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, furious. But it was a, like, when when do those not get given? It's, it's one of those things that the game is so weird about now. Because there was that period in the Premier League last year where everything like that was given or, or mm. two years ago every single bit of grappling in the box was immediately a penalty basically and it seems to have gone right back the other way now you can you kind of get away with it again mm. yeah and particularly in the championship particularly with a player like Mitrovic like he has a reputation much like you know Zaha and even all those players have a reputation for diving Mitrovic's got a reputation for having six of one and half dozen the other you know mm. and referees are are not inclined to give those kind of decisions because they think, oh, Mitrovic has probably got a handful as well, you know? So they, they can't make a judgment call on who's actually at fault. But it just so happens that the one time Mitrovic actually wasn't like... <laughs> like <laughs> there was there was no six of one. It yeah. was just more than half a dozen, I think, the other way. The one that interested me was Tom Kenny getting booked for giving the captain's armband to Mitrovic. 
um, oh, yeah. time yeah. wasting. About that. He didn't leave on the um, right side of the pitch, did he? You're supposed to leave oh, okay. close that's sides. Why. I, I oh, didn't that's see it. I just new, saw the law, yeah. I mm. just saw the booking for, and there was just the image of him giving the armband. I was like, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that happens reasonably regularly, and you have to give it away. Okay, yeah. cool. And um, before we move on from Cardiff, I move on to the rest of the season as a whole. Basically, I just wanted to get your thoughts on new boy Harrison Reed. Thought he did okay as a debut. Yeah, no, no. I think he, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed seeing him play. Uh, I thought he did very, very well. He provides energy. You know, he's got so much. He, like the Duracell man. You know what I mean? He's just constantly. Um, you know, he provides something else. Spring-loaded cannon. Spring-loaded cannon. Yeah. Is he too similar to Arthur? That's exactly what I was just going to ask. Um, I, I think so. Probably. It. It seems as though. Um, we were talking about making Harrison Reed the six and Harry Arter the in, in Steph Joe's position, and I think that would make more sense. But I do, obviously, Harrison Reed looks very technically gifted, and um, as you said, he's got he's got legs for legs, days. Yes, yeah. but he he is small. Yeah, I was about to... <laughs> he, I, I, and I know he's been in the championship the past two years, and by all accounts, done well at Blackburn and Norwich. But um, I don't know, is he going to actually be able to grab a game by scruffing it and actually in the same way that Kmac? used to be able to do obviously came it does not have the legs anymore <laughs> yeah no. um but yeah no it'll be interesting but a good start i think it's an interesting one and we'll see obviously with arta out the next game i imagine mm. reed will continue in the side potentially with steph back alongside him or maybe bobby reed will come on to it i know there's a question in the mailbag about who you'd have replacing him <laughs> but it, it just was one of those for me where that kind of energy and legs is great. And and maybe you need an Arter and a Reed in a game away at Leeds yeah. who are going to continue, bat, you know, are going to batter mm. you, are going to look for possession, maybe against the Brentford at Griffin Park who are going to look to, con- you know, control the tempo and control the ball. And you need a little bit more fight in there. Yeah. Whereas a game like Cardiff, which we knew we would have the majority of the ball in, maybe having two sort of leggy players, shall we say, isn't always the answer. Yeah, perhaps not. Let's move on. On then, right after the break, we are going to be talking about our start to the season as a whole and answering a stack of your questions. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish pod. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by George Cooper and Guy Barlow. And we are going to take a little look at Fulham's season so far. So, six games played in the championship. Three wins, one draw, two losses, ten points. Scored ten conceded five with a goal difference of five and sitting pretty in the playoff spots, albeit not in the automatics as maybe we might have hoped. Guy, what's your kind of overarching thoughts to the way that the season's begun? Um, Well, I was just saying to George just then, I think some of the results we've had so far might, um, we might judge them differently in in just a month or two, you know? So like, obviously the Barnsley result in the first game of the season, like they are going to be right at the bottom of the table for the whole year and that's going to look awful you know whereas the Huddersfield result was a good result at the time but they are also going to be down there so that should that should be a team we're beating um with Forest I think they're a bit of a joke club so I don't think they'll do anything <laughs> this season so I, I quite think like <laughs> I quite like you say, say that because I was literally just saying that I reckon they're gonna do all right <laughs> like that. they're not gonna do all right they've got like a mad owner and they've like their turnover of players is absolutely insane. Their squad's so big yeah they have like 35 players or something in their squad they're they're not going to be. I'm not worried about Forest, which which makes that result look poor. And I reckon Cardiff might, you know, um, even though they've got Warnock and you know he's he's a solid Championship manager, I don't think they'll be challenging really. So that result might look, end up looking poor. However, that sounds quite negative so far. We have got th- uh, three wins under the belt, which is a, 
and we are, as you said, even though it's early on in the playoffs, you know, um, it's kind of good that we're not coasting it because we've got, we've got stuff to work on over the international break, and yeah. we we know where our problems lie. And I think if we were to grade it, you probably maybe maybe give it a B. Yeah. Starts the season. George, similar. I think there is um, f- more reasons for optimism than negativity. I think we're doing all right. We're still embedding a lot of players. Remember, um, coming off the back of what was just the terrible season start to finish last year. Um, I think our attack. I think any any team in the league would, you know, give a right hand to have our attacking forwards. I don't think there's any sort of concerns there defensively. Arguably, one or two sort of teething issues that we need to smooth out, but. You know, Scott Parker's first full season in charge, still working out the system, I would argue. Um, but, yeah, no, I think I think we've got a lot more reasons to be cheerful. Apart than... from Millwall, I don't think Fulham have played very well yet. Here's <laughs> an un... I don't think we've played particularly well in most of the games that we've played. <clears throat> You've kept, we've started to see moments of, like, a, a style and a system and a kind of identity, but it's not fully formed yet. And, you know, look at where we were. The, the positive, I think, is that you look at where we were in that first week against Barnsley and how badly it worked and, and how inept that Scott's tactics looked straight away. We didn't. We just sort of lumped it forward a lot of the time. When we were when we were losing, he just brought on he just brought on strikers and was like, ah, let me see if I can just put five up front. We have seen elements of that at, at points. But on the whole... You know, he seems to be learning from his mistakes, and I think that's important, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dom mentioned it before about you know the football manager tactics, like go a goal ahead, bring on a defender for a striker. That kind of thing is kind of basic for a manager, but he is learning. Um, I just wanted to you know raise that George mentioned that um, you know particularly how bad last season it was. It's so difficult to make winning a habit again after having such a poor year. And it's really important that we've actually done that already. Um, we've seen it with the extreme examples be Wolves with a back-to-back relegation, Sunderland back-to-back relegation. Mm. You know, once you start losing and you're in a rut of losing, Huddersfield are in it right now. You know, they can't stop losing. They can't stop right. losing, and we've done. We've managed to do that, and we haven't got a hangover from last season, which we did in our first playoff season, which we did when we got relegated from the Premier League um, in 2013-14. So it's great that we've got a few wins under our belt already. I think if you look at those, that's a, that's a good point. You look at the teams that came down with us. Huddersfield are 23rd, zero wins, one draw, five losses, conceded 11, scored five. Not pretty reading. And even Cardiff, drawn two, one, two, lost two, seven, nine, minus two goal difference. It's not, those aren't particularly pleasing results for either of those sets of fans. Whereas I think the majority of Fulham fans are reasonably happy right now. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. And uh, I mean, you, it, it wasn't just as if we tailed off to to the end at the end of last season and had like an unlucky relegation. We it was bad from start to finish for a whole season. Um, and I think the one thing that you got to give Scott Parker credit for is the fact that he has seemed to have steadied the ship for the time being. And we're looking forward. And, you know, I think that if you were to ask the vast majority of Fulham fans, do you think we're gonna, still going to go up this year? I think they'd be hopeful. Yeah, I think it's a, a sensible and optimistic kind of place to be that you can still think that Fulham are going up. We'll touch on the Carabao Cup briefly. I, I know that, it's, you know, we've talked about this on a podcast before, so I don't want to go too deep into the game. But someone asked me about it today and they were like, were you pleased that you got knocked out? And I said no, because a winning mentality breeds is a good thing to breed and, and you should be looking to win every game. But... 
I remember when Ranieri played the first team in the cup against Oldham and we got knocked out. If Ranieri had played the youth and we'd lost to Oldham, people would have just been like, oh, well, well, it's the cup. We could probably do without it. It doesn't matter. But because it was the first team, it became really, like, really bad. That became maybe the result which defined the entire season because mm. it was just a game that even us in our poor form, you know, Oldham were without a manager at the time. <laughs> like the whole thing was just like the worst that it could possibly yeah. be. Mitrovic missing a penalty after the whole Kamara, the, just everything went wrong. And and I think that what was interesting about the Carabao Cup is that we did give those players, those young players that people want to see a go. We did give Rodak a go. We did give O'Reilly a go. Bobby Reid got a run through the middle. And yes, it didn't necessarily work. It wasn't, ever necessarily going to work but we actually played quite well against quite a strong Southampton side in parts and I think actually giving those the kids a run out and letting people see them is probably a better thing than giving the first team minutes at that point yeah I, I completely agree particularly with the point about giving you know fringe players a run um something that we may haven't touched upon as much in this podcast is actually like the number of people calling for Rodak ahead of bets. We, we've, Wait, we're going to come oh, there okay. because <laughs> okay. everything in the mailbag oh, is yeah. basically like that, that's what I'm saying. Kodak Black it's in the post. Rodak yeah, Black. Well, like the um, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like all, all the chat on all social media is like Rodak, Rodak, and that has come from his performance against Southampton in in the Carabao. Um, we can talk about whether he actually made any decent saves in that game. <laughs> we will. We will do. Okay. Will so do. I won't spoil the party for later. But um, to give. Reed in particular, a run out is good, I reckon. Um, I doubt we'll ever get those four on the same pitch at the same time, unless we're chasing a game. But they're, no, they're never all going to start, are they? Reed, Knockout, Cavalero, Mitro, Kenny. All five. Yeah. We're never going to start with those five, are we? They're never going to start together. I think something that's potentially interesting is Alexander Mitrovic, five goals already. Yeah. Good in six games. Top Joint top scorer in the championship, which is nice. Cavalero's got three. Kearney's got one, Knockhart's got, got one. All of these players are off the mark, mm. and, and that's got to be a good thing looking forward. Our, our front four are firing, even if they're not necessarily playing their best yet, mm. they're firing, they're away. Yeah, and and it seems to me as if they're edging towards that cohesion that, that, we, that we've seen in the past um, you know, with, with our other uh, attacking trio. Um, yeah, I, I think I think if there's one thing that is no cause for concern at the moment, it's our it's our front it's our front three. I think weirdly we all thought the biggest cause for concern was going to be the defence, and at the moment it feels a lot more like it's the midfield and, and working out who is actually the three that are are going to settle. And obviously the last time and when we went up, it was very much the three musketeers, and that was that. And and mm. I don't think it's going to be quite like that this year. I think there's going to be more rotation, but it's working out who plays with who and who who fits in. Yeah, and what what games we need certain types of players. And it goes back to that question we're talking about. Certain games you might need an Archer and a Reed to sit behind a Kearney. Some games you might need Kearney as an eight a little bit deeper to have a ten in front of him and let them kind of expand themselves a little bit more. And other games you'll need more of a balance. But Scott's, that's potentially Scott's biggest task going forward, I think. What, the defence? Working out the midfield. Oh, working oh, out who, oh, yeah, no. who plays in that midfield against what teams and what, what combinations work for what games, basically. Yeah, we, we we did briefly mention about um you know our Reed and Art are two similar players. It's a shame that clearly McDonald's has maybe been not cast aside, but has been deemed to be not up to scratch anymore. I think we might see him as a centre back, and I think that was a test. I know really? the Southampton thing was a, but 
was might have been a one-off because we don't have many centre-backs. But I can see him doing that. Yeah. You know, he did play there a bit. He used to play there when players got sent off or wins. Yeah, it was always, really weird. Yeah. Um, just bring on another <laughs> centre-back. <laughs> don't so, do that. So go, go back. But well, I can I, see I, it going I, forward. Yeah. So when our defenders have the ball and when we're in possession, we look for them to be picking passes, to, to be making strides forward and, and bringing us into the game from the back. And McDonald has those qualities because he's played it further forward. And actually, dropping him back further eliminates the need for him to run as much, mm, which yeah. is basically the issue, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's his pace. He's just one step off the mark compared to what he used to be. And he was like so integral in making those interceptions, chopping up the, um, the opposition's sort of momentum. Um, I thought it was a master trait. And I, I, I would welcome uh, if Scott wanted to put him at centre-back again. Like, I've got no problem with it whatsoever. He made some, he made some good challenges. He, he did some bit. I, I don't think it was perfect. But for a first run out there, it wasn't a bad start. No, yeah. I mean, you talk about him going centre-back when you got players sent off. I think when the alternatives for the bench is Marcelo Jallo. I think you'd rather have him. Yeah. <laughs> came back centre-back. Lugo legend. The, the <laughs> other joke being that... Um, McDonald has just got the world's longest hangover. <laughs> 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 Went out after the playoff final and has never been this, and just has been hung, hungover ever since. Just needs a couple of neurofens. I don't understand why we've been, we're two years long gone now. And he just, no one's given him a, Euro, a neurofen. <laughs> Lads, work it out. All right, let's move. Yeah, McDonald would be, McDonald's would probably be a better hangover. <laughs> McDonald for McDonald. Um, let's move things on to the question bag. And the question bag does have quite a lot of questions in it but i'm going to start with the one that is repetitive here so one two three four people here is now the time to change our keeper does rodak get a chance off the break am i alone in thinking it is time for marek rodak is it time for marek rodak i'm going to start with you no is the (laughs) simple answer um and the correct answer (laughs) Yeah, possibly the correct answer. Um, I think goalkeeper is obviously such a unique position, but in one of the ways is in that once you pick someone, you you've got to stick with them. I think once you've made someone your number one, it's such a like a bomb through the whole team where you're changing that integral player where you've given a player your whole backing and then you take it away. Like it, it, it makes other players question the manager in, in some some circumstances. Um, so for that reason, I'd say no. Betts is uh, going to stay. And the other reason is he's he's out of form, yes, but he'll he'll come back. I'm sure. Like he's experienced keeper. A year ago, he was in the England squads. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it's, <laughs> I think but we it's mentioned still... that at the time. We're like, well, this is madness. This is pure lunacy. But he's so. still always going to have that on a CV, <laughs> you know? Well, fourth choice keeper for England and friendly. Yeah, and also, like, he has only had, like, six games back from injury after he was out for, like, a long time. Like, give him time. We know about his distribution. We know that, that and that's a weak point. But we know shot stopping, it can be incredible. So give him time. He will be all right, I reckon. George, do you agree? Yeah, no, totally, totally agree with Guy. Um, yeah, totally, totally agree. I think it's just... As as he said, the, the second you change a keeper, it, it causes ripple, it shockwaves throughout the whole squad, and the stage that we're at in the season, we can't afford to unsteady the ship. You know, we're still working out how we're playing. It's you know, you don't want to go causing unnecessary upsets. And yes, as he said, it's out, he's out of form. But I mean, if Mitrovic went a few games without scoring, we wouldn't be 
calling for him to get dropped. I know it's obviously arguably slightly different circumstances, but it's, it'd be totally the wrong thing to do, in my opinion. Um, keep him in, let him regain his confidence, regain a bit of form, and then we'll be questioning why we ever sort of called in, called him into question. I agree with you to a point. I think Rodak should have started the season in goal. <laughs> there's, my, uh, there's my call, because I thought he was excellent for Rotherham last year. Uh, and obviously... I think what was interesting and what the big thing that we questioned was his distribution and we sat here with George Singer a couple of weeks ago and we talked about his distribution percentages and mm. basically the fact that he'd had to kick the ball long all of the time when he was down in the bottom ends of the league. But I think we saw in the Southampton game that his distribution's pretty good. Um, we saw a couple of really nice balls out to Joe Bryan, an absolute ping that set Bobby, uh, Bobby Reid away in, in one half as well. I don't think, I think you've, the reasons you've outlined above, both of you, it would be a dangerous game to change the keeper now. And I do think that Scott will stick with Bettinelli. But I can completely see why people are, are calling for, for a change. And especially, and, and I know you want to talk about this, but I thought he did very well in the Southampton <laughs> game, guy. And, and you're saying that he only made saves he was expected to save. <laughs> well, one of those was a one-on-one from Oriol Romeo, who came through La Masia. <laughs> yeah, I'm one giving was, him that one. <laughs> one of them was a one-on-one with Shane Long. <laughs> Two one-on-one. Ireland's most feared goal scorer, <laughs> have you know. Thank you very much. I, I don't know. Um, to be fair... The, the Romeo one was pretty good save. Was, was that the one that's down to his right? Yeah. yeah. Good save. And he did make, I think, one of the maybe top 10 goalkeepers in top four leagues last season in terms of number of saves. Yes, he was playing for relegated Rotherham sides. But to have that shot stopping ability, you know, I, I don't like it when he's always a good shot stopper. Yeah. O- obviously, he should be a good shot stopper. He's that's a goal- literally what goalkeepers <laughs> He's a goalkeeper. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's good to know that he's ready, I guess. And it's good that you know, we often associate goalkeepers maturing later. He's still quite young for a goalkeeper. And it's good to know that we do have that backup. We, we often hear the cliche, um, it's a good problem to have when you've got too many strikers. Well, Scott's got it down the other end of the pitch. It's a good problem to have they have got two very decent goalkeepers. And now, last year we had three. <laughs> <laughs> One of them now plays for PSG. Exactly. <laughs> Um, that's just it's, it's so sad to see that <laughs> we had a PhD goalkeeper he was quality Rico I know he got a bit of stick from the fans it's mad isn't it, was, it, was it was think, I was thinking about a couple of things you know obviously Sergio Rico now will play probably potentially play a bit of Champions League football Seri mm. Champions League football Ryan Babel Champions League football Anguisa came on last night and bossed Real Madrid around for 20 minutes absolutely insane Anguisa yeah <laughs> incredible so good <laughs> and it's just like you're looking at these things and obviously it's so different you can't rank all of these things just on how good they were because, or how good they are now because it's not like that and it has to be all the pieces fitting into place and it obviously wasn't <laughs> with some of those players but it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. It does make you wonder what was quite wrong with them to begin with. Uh, I still think Anguissa's pants. <laughs> oh man, I love him. <laughs> we, like, so everyone, much. everyone on the Fulhamish WhatsApp, they were posting these little gifs of Anguissa doing the little, like, oh, Andre! Like, I was like, he <laughs> Have was, you not seen the, the, was... the, the, the thing he did last night on Twitter? Yeah, but, you know, he's a flash in the pan. Oh, you can, come on. It doesn't, doesn't excuse... He will, he, will, he will boss the league of this year. He bossed Modric and Casemiro around for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, wandered around the Shock. Pitch. I, I didn't I didn't see the full extended highlights. I only watched the GIF highlights that you guys were um, spamming me with. Let's keep moving on these things. So here's one about goalkeepers that's not should we change goalkeepers from Adam Bright. He says, why is Bettinelli so slow in taking goal <laughs> kicks? Is it due to a lack of movement ahead of him? Which is a potentially the answer. Mm. 
Uh, when you said so slow, that uh, my, my instant thought was mentally. Oh, I, I, no, no. <laughs> I thought you meant physically. I was, it, like, I was like, he's a six foot six goalkeeper. He's not. He's not going to be Usain Bolt, is he? <laughs> but, I mean, you Usain know. Bolt is quite tall. Oh yeah, fair. <laughs> so what is the question? Very, very but different. Is, it, is his slowness to get the ball out? You know, when it's played short, when it's played long, whatever it is, he takes ages to take the goal kick. Is right. that because of a lack of movement ahead of him, or is it just that he likes to set himself and? And have a good think about where he's putting this before he inevitably lumps it into the stand. Yeah, well, he's getting, he's getting, uh, he's getting <laughs> to dig. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's getting criticised left, right, and centre for his distributions. Like, he's probably, he's probably shitting himself he's probably when he's lining his, lining his ball up. Like, he, right, did, okay, he did do a not great ball to Cavallero on on halfway in the Cardiff game. Do you remember? Like it was one of these. He took ages for the goal kick, and then Cavallero just walked into midfield and got a bit of pace, chested down on the attack. Um, so get off his back, Jack. <laughs> Okay. Ollie says, why do we never seem to make the cottage a fortress? We always lose early on in the season and we regularly perform better away from home. I think the comment here about performing better away is something relevant. I think there's something in that. It is a Fulham trait to actually play better away, or has been for a little while, not obviously back in the day. In the, in the good old good old Coleman Hudson days where we physically could not Two win away, away games. season. Um, oh. But it is recently a thing that we win as many, if not more, away than we do at home. Why do you think that is, Guy? I think we just um, are allowed to impose ourselves on home, the home teams in a way that we're not allowed to at home. When we're at home, we're expected to go out and play. Whereas when we're away, we can almost not take them by surprise, but because the impetus will be in the home team to go out and, and get the three points, we can be like, no, actually, we'll, we'll have the ball. We'll... Um, play off the part and we'll counter-attack if we need to and we'll, you know, win, basically. Um, I think it's it's much difficult to defend at home for a long period of time than it is to defend away. So teams who are expected to lose to us, like Barnsley, <laughs> we all know how that went, but um, they're going to sit back and it's hard for them to do that for the whole game in front of a home crowd. So I think that's part of it. Okay, same, George. Is, yeah, it, just, I, is it just that teams come on to us more and there's more space for us to exploit? I think, in essence, yeah. And also, we, we obviously play a possession game. and um, That doesn't change when we go away. I still think we have the blind share of possession in most of the away games that we have. The crowd starts getting on the, you know, a bit antsy, starts getting on the home team's back. They feel more obliged to sort of go forward and make mistakes that we can exploit. Um, I, I, said it, I said it before, I genuinely think we're going to win more games, more away games this year than home games. Okay. I'm, I'm not actually, like, in terms of statistical, it probably doesn't actually... Add up necessarily, you know, like because I remember in the season we did go up. There was that run in January to March where we had like so what six home clean sheets in a row, yeah, yeah, something like that. Like we can make it fortress. It's just we haven't done it. Yet. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> Hopefully we'll write two more questions and they're reasonably quick fire. Um, this one's from at Cise, which is still my favourite handle on Twitter. It <laughs> says, who comes in for Arta? He thinks Bobby Reed as a number ten. So let's take a quick look at the next games coming up West Brom at home yeah Sheffield Wednesday away yeah Charlton at home maybe Sorry, so who comes in for Fulham this is the well Arsenal's Ars- only up for the West Brom game right he will but you. the question is does he get his place back if Fulham win that first game you know against them so who comes in against West Brom for Harry Arter do we play Bobby Reid as a 10 because West Brom I think are probably one of the better sides in this division and that does give me slight nightmares no I probably wouldn't bringing Bobby Reid is again a short answer as we said um, I'd probably just bring in Steph Joe and 
simple that that midfield three yeah Ibrahim is he saying <laughs> Matt O'Reilly is yeah. is he Ibrahim is still a Fulham player I don't player? think he's still a Fulham player no. Yeah, he might be at this point of the day, but I imagine you know it's still deadline day. Exactly, that's what I mean. him, at this point, we <sighs> never we have no idea where Ibrahima might be. I would do, you bring in Steph, or do you um, think there's a shout for Matt O'Reilly? I do really want to see Matt O'Reilly, but I would argue that the West Brom game probably isn't the right opportunity. Um, I agree with Guy. Bring in bring in Steph Joe for a straight swap. Okay, last one. Luke FFC Alum says. As much as our football is very precise and measured, do you not think we would score a lot more goals as well as keeping possession if we played a little bit more direct football? Not lump it to Mitrovic, but breaking the line of the press quicker. We have a lot of pace down both wings now, and we have a player that can pick those passes in Tom Kearney in the middle. Is there something in this? Because there's an interesting line of debate here whether one thing is pull them apart and play side to side until the opening comes, and the other one is break it straight away, break those lines and see if you can. And I think the best teams have elements of both. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And I think it's something that we need to have in our arsenal to use as of when needed. Um, I think I said before that the the partnership, when I saw um, see Alexander Mitrovic and Bobby Reid play together, it reminds me a little bit of Bobby Zamora and Andy Johnson when you'd have uh, Zamora holding it up and then Johnson running off. And we can have, if we can have, can, find the wingers in with that I think we've got you know a deadly a deadly um, sort of weapon we saw a little bit of it at Huddersfield away in the first half where Mitrovic was just sort of dropping a little bit deeper and playing those through balls for Knockout and Cavalero. I imagine that's something that Scott will look to work on on the break yeah I think that's maybe fine when Mitrovic drops <clears> back and does it um, but when you've got the midfielders doing it in the opposition half you know it becomes a low percentage pass doesn't it and, yeah. if, you, and if you lose the ball then you get teams breaking on you like Cardiff did at the, um, on Friday night. So it's up to what kind of risk strategy you want to play, really. You know, you can't concede if you've got the ball. <laughs> high risk, high reward. Yeah, well, high risk and you might get them behind, but then I'm sure Cavalera and Knockart are adept finishers, but they might not finish every single time. I don't know. It's you, 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 Overall, you're right. There needs to be balance between those quicker transitions than there is at the moment uh, there's an interesting debate it's it's the very much the anti-forward and if someone said to me the other day what was the one thing you'd ban from football if you could take one thing out of the game and my answer is always fans shouting forward it's the worst thing <laughs> in the entire world <laughs> shouting forward like, <laughs> there's people just like they're knocking it around the midfield having a good time with three nil up <laughs> people yeah. shout, people yelling forward i'm like please stop that that's <laughs> really getting to me chance. attack 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 attack, 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 yeah. attack attack oh yeah no no <laughs> chance thank you um right there is a couple of admin bits left to do and we are all done i am gonna throw it to you george do you want to name this podcast i'll go with um art to know better Hard to know better. It's nice that it works in a number of ways, mm. and, and that's something I have a lot of time for. Right. <laughs> well, that is all we've got time for on this week's Fulhamish. There will be no extra this week, given that we are going into an international break. And lastly, it's just time to say goodbye to Floyd Aite. Um, it's been a sad day. Floyd Aite has confirmed his transfer off to Turkey. And I, for one, quite sad about it, George. No, absolutely. Farewell, sweet prince. We'll miss you. One of the most genuinely two-footed players I've ever seen and a good player. As soon as you win promotion with the club, you're always going to be remembered. Yeah. And, he's, and he's done that. So, yeah, fair play. I like him. Good player, good bloke. He actually, after the, after the playoff final, he gave my little brother his boots. 
Really? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. He's still got them. They're, oh. about, they're about size six, I think. They're absolutely tiny. There's that classic picture, isn't they, of Syriac, Cabano, and Aite like, <laughs> chilling out, um, and only Cabano's left. So we hope that Niskins is very much part of the squad when when we wake up tomorrow morning, because otherwise it's AK-47 or nothing, right? <laughs> I have been Jack Collins. Thank you very much to George Cooper. Thank you, mate. And thank you very much to Guy Barlow. Cheers, Jack. Please keep sharing the pod. Please keep telling your friends, and please keep getting us on social media we are very appreciative enjoy the international break take a deep breath go watch some non-league football follow your countries whatever you want to do but have a nice break from Fulham and we will be back when the break is done you are